If you're one of the people that love this show, make sure you go over to holyfullproductions.com and check out our home. You can read articles. You can see my personal journals straight out of the typewriter. You can see the weekly link roundup of all the interesting things I run across. You can see drawings. You can see books recommended for the book club. Or if you're like me and you like things simple, you can just have it sent right to your inbox by signing up for the newsletter, which goes out almost every day. And of course, you can help support this show through either monthly subscriptions or generous one-time donations, all at hoyfulproductions.com. plenty of people out there that are actors, but in their heart, they're a writer. So they want to be described as a writer. So when you call them an actor, you know, who knows how people, I mean, like, for example, if I were to, if I were to ask you that, how would you describe yourself? That would be tough. <laughs> I always find it co- uncomfortable at times talking about myself. I don't know why. Not necessarily talking about experiences, but just talking about how I view myself. That has always seemed awkward to me. Do you think that's in some way tied to like a, a fear of people perceiving some sort of ego or something? No, I don't, not necessarily. I think it's just because... Uh, I don't know. I've never been able to put my finger on, on why. You know, I, I write very openly and you know, like, like to think that I write very honestly, but talking about myself... Again, not so much on you know kind of what things I've experienced or even how I view things or feel about things, just about myself and how I view myself has always seemed kind of awkward. I can do it. I just <laughs> I aren't always very comfortable doing it. I feel like there's some sort of widespread societal pressure for us not to talk about ourselves, right? You know, like when I when I mentioned the ego thing, like for years it was really difficult for me to use um, words like writer or yeah artist, yeah, because it was how how dare you use that label? <laughs> yeah, no, that's no, that's an interesting point because I, 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 it was a while before I even called myself one. I was I would always call myself, I would always make a point to say aspiring writer, you know, as opposed to just saying writer. And I know that some people feel very differently about it. And I've even heard that in podcasts, you know, screenwriter podcasts or whatever that I listen to. That some some writers, you know, until they've sold their first thing, won't even necessarily call themselves. A writer, and for the longest time, I didn't. I do now, even though yes, I, I'm not getting. You know, I did this is not what I do for a living. It's something that I that I aspire to be, and I'm, uh, I'm an aspiring writer. But I still consider myself one. I, I don't know. Some of it might have to do with the fact that we've lost touch in the meanings of what uh, professional and amateur mean. When we use the word amateur now, people think that it means it's something insulting. But all it all it really means is I don't make money doing this thing. Right. You know, like I am an amateur podcaster. (laughs) I've been doing it for two and a half years, but I'm still an amateur. Uh, (laughs) But it's true. Yeah. But when you listen to your shows, though, it it doesn't come off as such. You know, I mean, it comes off it comes off as something that you're very comfortable with and have experience doing. And I guess maybe that's that's maybe where we get the words confused, right? It's experienced. Yeah, I'm totally experienced, but I'm amateur because I don't make any money. And right. uh, maybe that's part of it too. You know, it's like, I don't want to say writer because people assume that means that I make money from it, but all it means is you write. Yeah. And I, and I view photography the same way when, you know, when people who know that I've been doing it for a while will ask me for advice on cameras or wherever. And 
the, the, the conversation of you know, the question would come up, you know, is this something you do professionally? And no, I don't. It's something I have experienced and I've been doing it for a while. I'm more of a hobbyist than anything else. And then, and then they'll say, oh, so, are you an, oh, so you're an amateur photographer. And I'm like, well, no, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not an amateur photographer either, but I'm not, I'm not, I don't consider myself a professional photographer by any right. But, you know, I at least have enough confidence not to say that, to say that I'm not an amateur. <laughs> I want to say that it was our fellow friend, Carlos, who, for the listeners, was in season one. I think the episode was called uh, Making Things Tangible. Uh, I think it was him that told me one time, he said, when people ask him something like that, he just says, that's what I'm passionate about. And he just, oh, okay. Writer, do you make money from that? That's what I'm passionate about. That's good. That's a good way to look at it. <laughs> that's a healthy way of looking at it. It's a good way to steer the conversation too, right? Yeah. Yeah. At that point, then that gives them the opportunity to share what they're passionate about. Right. This is, we get in these conversations too, where, you know, all these labels... Yeah, and it's it's more so it's grown so much more, you know, with social media. I mean, that has definitely fueled the uh, the concept of of labels, and and it's created additional ones, and almost encourages people to use labels anywhere and everywhere for anybody. It seems that it gets worse as the bio space that we get gets shorter. You know, you only get a few words. When you look at the people who are really successful. Like the, I mean, like the top top tiers, um, as they call in Hollywood, you know, the one uh, percent. Yeah, that the ones that make the most of the money. Uh, <laughs> you look at their profiles, and it doesn't it doesn't say actor, it doesn't say anything. Yeah. You know, it's it's usually some you know like uh, it could be a charity that they're interested in or whatever. You know, of course, they have the the benefit of people knowing who they are. But at the same time, it makes you wonder if we place too much value in, in that little thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, you and I are in a, in a unique position too to look at all of this stuff because we're old enough to have to remember the world before all of this. So we're in the unfortunate position of having to compare the two. Yeah, I mean, it definitely made it was an adjustment, even though it was a it was a, it was a gradual one. I I didn't even own a, a cell phone. I mean, if we're talking about like, technology, I didn't even own a cell phone until shortly before I started working for a cell phone company. <laughs> you know, and it was interesting. I had this, you know, and even for a while after my friends were getting these very expensive and you know uh, impressive gadgets, I still had this shitty candy bar phone for the longest time, and it was so felt like I was so late to everything else. Working at a cellular phone company made, you know, definitely changed that. But, you know, I felt like I was late to some of that stuff. Which I don't think is... Oh, no, I have to... What's that? I said, I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing. I'm sure you were a lot happier. Yeah, I mean, it's, there's... I don't know. There's something to... There's, there's definitely something refreshing every once in a while about staying away from it all. We, uh, we just got back from a, from a trip to Bass Lake. My wife's parents have a timeshare there, and we we make an effort to go usually every year for a week for Bass Lake. And this, this service out there is so shitty. And the, the Wi-Fi and the actual timeshare is, is pretty bad. And we particularly bad this time around. There's something wrong with it, which was fine. But it's kind of nice because, you know, especially when you're in that environment, you're out there in nature and do not have the, uh, the, 
constraints of <laughs> of constantly checking your phone, which which I'm guilty of. I'll, I'll I'll be honest. You know, even when I'm even when I'm home and I know I'm you know pressed for time after my kids go to bed and before I need to go to bed, I only have a few hours to maybe read or write. You know, there are those times when I catch myself and just sitting there on the couch looking at my phone, <laughs> not wondering why. It's hard not to. I mean, it's like, yeah. uh, you know, when you go to somebody's house and they have the candy bowl and it's in, next to the couch where you're sitting, you're going to eat a piece of that candy eventually. <laughs> yeah. And it's, not, it, it, and it's not terribly satisfying for me. And I'm not knocking, you know, social media in any way. I, you know, I, I, uh, I'm, you know, I have a Facebook and Twitter account and, and I love what it's done, you know, keeping people connected because I've connected with people that I haven't seen or talked to since I was a kid. And it's been exciting to see where everybody's kind of ended up and just see, you know, what, you know, their you know, pictures of their families and stuff. And, but, you know, there's a drawback to that, obviously. And I've fallen to that. And I still I continue to. Yeah. I've, I mean, my return to Facebook has been actually, for me, been very positive just because this time I think going into it, um, I knew what it was and I knew I was there. And like you said, connecting with people in that way, it seemed at first when I left before, it didn't seem to have any value. It felt ephemeral, but it was because that was coming from me. It's not something that's innate to social media or anything like that. I think a lot of these conversations that we hear people talking about, you know, social media, it's bad for you and all these things. It's not inherently bad for you. It's just that we are weak. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and 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 we we are we succumb to these things. Yes, of course, you know, we know that they they tweak things to make it more addictive and stuff because, you know, their job is to make money and we're not paying them. <laughs> so they got to make it somehow. But being able to see like my my great nieces, which are my nieces' daughters, I just found out that is the term that I call them, great nieces. Being able to see them because I only maybe get to see them once a year at Christmas. So being able to see photos of them almost every day, that's super cool. And I've been loving that. Or my friend Stacy, her two daughters who I adore, being able to see pictures of them a couple times a week. Yeah. It just it brings greatness to my day that I didn't have before. So I appreciate it for that for sure. And and all the stuff yeah. that we're trying to do with the, you know, the book club and stuff like we were talking about earlier. Yeah, and that's that's where it is really beneficial and exciting. That's where that platform really does make an impact with things like that because I it exposes you it, it really does expose you. Yeah, it exposes you to, to some shitty to some shitty stuff and exposes you to some infuriating uh, political opinions that, you know, you can just ignore and I try to. But it does you know, it has exposed me to, you know, to some really cool stuff. And, and that's one of them. Yeah. I mean, just the, the, the book club you mentioned and this, and just even other things that people share, you know, that I didn't even, that I didn't even know. There's this, there's this saying, I don't know who, I don't even know if it's anyone famous who said it is somewhere. Every person you meet knows something you don't. And that's, <laughs> that's actually really cool. It, because it, it makes me feel like, oh shit. I mean, I, you know, I'm a pretty much a student every day then, if that's the case. I love that. I mean, that's, that's kind of the point of these interviews is everybody knows something I don't. So, you know, even though I'm not putting the pressure on people, like come here and teach me, be a teacher. I learned something from each of these and that's why I do them. And I hope that um, the people listening do the same. You know, you had mentioned that you listened to um, episode with Giovanni in the beginning where we're talking about, you know, having like a, a radical Republican on the show or somebody that 
has very strong opinions one way or the other. I'd totally be open to that if, if we could have like a reasonable conversation, just because we may disagree on certain things doesn't mean there isn't something else that that person can teach us. Yeah. And there's definitely a reason that somebody believes something that you may disagree with, but there's a reason they believe that thing. And yeah, they may be fucking crazy, you know, and you know, that might be why they believe that thing. And (laughs) that may ultimately be proven that they're just crazy. And that's why they believe that thing. But they believe it for, for a reason. You don't know what that reason is. Maybe something happened that steered them in that direction. And a conversation, like you just said, or proposed, could unearth that. And that's exciting. Yeah, there's a quote that I ran across. So I've been recopying some notes into to, uh, some notebooks. Have you ever read The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron? No. You should check out that book. It's really cool. I'll, I'll remind you afterwards. But there's a quote in there, and I happen to have it right here because I saved it on my phone. Um, Boredom is just, quote, what's the use in disguise? And, quote, what's the use is just fear. And fear means you are secretly in despair. And that last part got me because, you know, what we're talking about is like a lot of these, a lot of, um, on both sides of the political spectrum, a lot of the really radical views, and you could probably say the same thing as uh, about really radical religious views or, your views on anything that are radical are based to some degree in a fear of something. And I just thought that was fascinating that she turned it and said, it's actually despair. Wow. When, when you look at somebody go, oh, they just think that because they're afraid. I don't know that it penetrates the same way as going, they're in despair. It almost gives you yeah. like a, a humanity to them that maybe you would have missed. And it's the same thing where you, I can't remember. I, I, think, I, was, I think I was at a store, I was at a store with a friend. And somebody was freaking out and just uh, a, a woman, I think, was having a, a breakdown inside a, inside a store. It was, at a, it was at the mall and everybody was looking at her and, you know, probably completely judging her. And in there, and I don't know, some people might have even had their phones out videotaping her or shooting her with their, with their cameras. And the sad thing is, is we have no idea what happened to this person 10 minutes ago or half an hour ago or an hour ago. and. Maybe that is what caused this complete breakdown. Ellen, we don't know. The quote that that reminds me of, uh, have you ever heard the quote of the difference between uh, comedy and tragedy? No. That uh, tragedy just has a bigger story behind it. It's not the exact quote, but essentially, I almost want to say it was Woody Allen. It's the idea if you see somebody standing on a sidewalk and a car drives by and it splashes them with water, it's funny. But if go back far enough and you find out that that person is desperately in need of a job and that's the only suit that they own. Now it's tragic. Yeah. yeah, you just never know. That idea of where a story starts and where it ends, I imagine that's something that you think about a lot when screenplays. I mean, because a movie is what makes or breaks a movie is where it cuts into the story. Do you feel that when you're doing that? Yeah, I do. And I have... I, I take different approaches with every... With, with every story that I try to write. This new one I'm working on, I, I had never done any kind of outlines before. I would, do, I would do little notes here and there. And then I would just start something and kind of just see where it ended up. And there have been times where I've liked where it has ended up. And I've finished those and you know, I've been happy with those and still tinkering with those because nothing's ever done. You know this as a writer, nothing's ever <laughs> done or completed. Yeah, there's always something to change. But one of the newest ones that I'm working on is the first time that I've ever really done a 
a full outline before starting it. I worked about a month on the outline before I started the actual script. And it was interesting what that revealed about kind of my view of the, or, or my kind of thought of the story. Because in the other ones, the story would kind of gradually reveal itself to me while I was writing. But in this one, I kind of already knew where the story was due to the outline. So I'm basically just writing around that. And I, until I finish this, I don't, I don't know which approach I'm going to prefer. Um, but it's, 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 it's definitely, uh, it definitely makes me think about how a story comes together. You know who Philip Roth was, the author? Yeah. He used to say that he wrote 200 pages before the book began. 200 pages he threw away, I should clarify, because it took him that long to find out where the story actually started. And uh, the, the, the novel that I'm working on right now, I know exactly what you're talking about. Because number one, this is the first time I've done an outline as well. And I just, I found it, it was completely out of necessity. Something that big, I just couldn't handle without an outline. But what I did find after time was that my story had started, first I started the story too late. <laughs> and then I started it too early. Like, for example, I, there was one part, I'm not going to go into actual specifics. I started something and I'm like, okay, so this happens right after this. And it was like a major life event. And then all of a sudden I realized, I'm like, wait a minute. That's the stupidest idea ever. <laughs> because they're going through a major life event. Why would I not want to take advantage of being able to take this character through that? And it's just this blindness that maybe we have sometimes, <laughs> especially as writers. Yeah. Uh, I've rewritten one of the older ones that I have that, that I'm currently working, that I'm still working on, which I feel, I, I do feel, I, I do feel strongly about, but yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll look at it and something will just click. I'm like, God, this makes no fucking sense. Like, why the fuck would he, why would he do this? <laughs> like, why, why wouldn't he do this instead? You know? And then, and then that turn, that changes into something else. And then that changes into something else. It's like yeah. myopia we develop almost, you know, we're so close to the details that like we can't zoom out far enough to at times to see those things. It's common. Like that's why we see movies with like uh, weird continuity errors written into them and stuff like that. Because, you know, maybe they, they had to write the script in like two months. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the blog is interesting because the blog originally started as a, a photography blog. You know, I wanted to create a website that just showcased my photos. I knew I wasn't necessarily going to do anything with it right away as far as a business, which I still haven't, you know, I'm, again, just a, you know, still <laughs> just a hobbyist. And, and even though I feel I've, uh, I've grown as a photographer, I'm still just, I, I just like taking pictures and I, you know, I put them on the site and, and I thought, well, I'll write about photography too, you know? So, and the first, blog that I attempted to write about photography, it was, I was just bored. I was just so bored doing it. And I don't know if it was the technical aspect of it, but I had spent so much time reading books about photography. So then writing about it just didn't seem interesting to me. It just seemed really boring and dull. And and not, and not even so much the subject itself, just how, just the writing, even how I was writing it, it just came off as just you know, me trying to like, who the fuck am I trying to, <laughs> to write about, write a blog about photography when, you know, I'm just, I just have this website and I'm just showing my, my pictures on it. So 
so I, that changed into just kind of a vehicle to just share personal stories about myself and, and write about that. But that's a very different experience writing the blog than it is obviously writing screenplays because in screenplays, even though, you know, there are some aspects of myself uh, and my relationships with, you know, my family and friends that I do, um, that I do put in there and that do inform some of the stories. The blog is pure expression, you know, and just sharing things about myself. Anybody listening right now, of course, there will always be show notes, but you need to go and read Mark's blog. There's, I don't know how to describe it. I'm going to ask you to describe it, actually. How would you describe what you're doing? I don't know. I mean, it just... It started as... I mean, having children definitely had a big impact on it. And my very, the very first blog that I wrote was about... My older brother used to run a lot of marathons. And we were on our way... I was on my way to, to, to go to San Francisco to shoot his marathon. I've, I've shot a bunch of his marathons, New York and Chicago. And I was on my way that morning to San Francisco to shoot his marathon. And our son, Jojo, who at the time was maybe two months old, I was carrying him in the, the, the carrier and Sammy uh, was walking behind me. And I, hear just, I, I just hear this big thump. And I turn around and he's face down on our concrete was outside and i just completely fucking freaked out and he's screaming and crying and i pull him up and he has this big red gash not gash but this big red uh scrape on his forehead and on his nose and on his mouth and so i took him to the hospital but the first blog was uh about that and it was it was called my uh my children will never be safe and it was about basically just me being a dad realizing that all of these things physically and mentally are going to happen to our children and there's nothing we can do about it. And that's a scary thing. And that became kind of the focus for the blogs that followed. Even if, even if the blogs that followed were something about, you know, music or, or film or even writing, it all came back to this, you know, this, this feeling of, of, of being a father and kind of what just, just what that did to me and does to me mentally and emotionally and, and even physically. But I guess to answer your question after fucking rambling <laughs> um, is I guess, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing is just kind of sharing my experience, sharing my experience with that and just sharing um, things about myself and kind of not so much, not so much how I view the world. It's not really that. It's just sharing story, just personal stories about myself. And I don't know. I don't know if that even <laughs> explained it in any way. Why I have trouble explaining it to people because I feel like there's a power to what you're doing there that I don't know that people um, would even get from a description. And I know it's probably hard for you to say it because it's something that you, know, you do. And we've already talked about how <laughs> it's difficult for you to do that. But there's, yeah. Yeah. there's this really honest balance in every piece that you've put up. And I think, I think I've read all of them. You know, between the... It's not even between two things. Between all of the things that are involved in, in being a parent. Um, I'm actually going to read one paragraph from the last one, if you don't mind. Sure. You wrap yourself in guilt, questioning your own existence and prowess as a parent, 
or a human being. It's natural behavior. People are not perfect by any right. And having children doesn't inherently make you a better one. It just makes you question more how you handle and react to things that have become, become assembly line occurrences. You fuck up constantly. And when you're done, reset and focused, you fuck up some more. It's a chain reaction of repetitiveness and self-doubt, a cloud that follows you that you realize is a balloon you've been holding this entire time. And it's the greatest feeling some of us will ever know. That paragraph exemplifies the blog for me. The way that it goes back and forth between all of those things. And it, I don't know, it just seems to capture... Now, obviously, not going through the experience of parenthood myself, but it seems to capture an honesty that I think is rare when we read things online. There's a certain performance, and I don't think people do it on purpose, but there's a certain performance to writing online. And I feel like you've cut through that. And that's what I always appreciate about these because, you know, there's, there's an honesty there in that, yeah, well, you, you mess up as a parent, but it's also extraordinary. And it's diff- like all the things you just said. It's, I, I just I can't tell people um, enough to go read these because, like you said, it just started out as a photography blog, but I think you've found something completely unique in what you're doing here. Thank you. No, I appreciate that. It, it wasn't without a pain. You know, one of the, one of the biggest, I guess, moments of of the blog itself was when our son Jojo um and you've read that blog our our son Jojo when he was um 9 months old was diagnosed with uh a form of cancer called rhabdomyosarcoma and i was on leave when you know after we found out and and you know for anybody listening i mean he's he, the story is that has a happy ending i mean he he's he's great now and you know there's all of the scans and checkups have uh have been uh, have been clear and we were very lucky I, at that time i had only had the one blog that one blog written and i was on leave uh during during this time after his surgery and uh one night i was just i was i was on my couch i was just sitting there drinking having a few beers and listening to music and i, I started writing I picked it. I picked up the computer and I started writing just about music. There wasn't even anything about the what was going on or what we were going on or what we were going through mentally as parents. I started writing about music, and that blog was probably one of the fastest ones that 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 seemed to that seemed to come out. And it was because of that, and it wasn't necessarily because of this need or desire even though I, I love music and you know you I'm a, I'm a, i follow music pretty uh pretty religiously not a musician but i i you know i, just, I love music it wasn't it wasn't you know inspired by some need to just talk about music it was inspired by by that and just about this kind of pain that we were going through and just wanted to express myself in some way knowing that i wasn't ready to um, talk about this just yet for months. I wouldn't even say the word cancer. I, I didn't even want to say the word at all. It was just about just wanting to get something out that at least 
express something that, 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 I, that I was very passionate about and felt very deeply about, and music just happened to be that thing. And then after that, the next blog was about, I think, um, you know, cheesy, cheesy 80s movies that, you know, that I loved. And then eventually got to when he was about halfway, about halfway through his uh, treatments. He had to do chemotherapy for a year until when he was about halfway through his treatments. And I, then I wrote the one about, uh, about that and shared that. And there were a lot of family members actually on, on Facebook that we hadn't even told and found out that way. So a lot of it started with, with that and just really that being the kind of driving force behind wanting to express myself. And I think that really inspired the honesty too. And not that I would have approached, not that I think I would have approached it, you know, any other way, but you know, you know, I think that, you know, I have, I have felt, I've, I've felt like a bullshitter at times, you know, I mean, I've definitely felt like a, like a phony at times or a poser at times. And I don't know, this was just this thing that happened to us, to our family, trying to just wipe that away and really inspired a, a greater amount of, of honesty in these things. That I hope people can see, and I'm glad that, and I'm glad that you do, and I appreciate you saying that. When you say that, you didn't even want to say that the word cancer. In situations like that, our brains aren't always doing the most logical thing. But what do you think was behind that? Were you afraid, like almost like a like a superstition? Like if you said it, it would, you know, it would make it sink its teeth in more. Yeah, I mean, it was just so. I my mom had. Um, she was diagnosed with, with colon cancer, you know, many years before this. And, and she's fine. She's fine too. And that was even, uh, you know, that, that realization was really, was really scary for us as well. Learning about that, my, my dad had sent my brother and I, I have two brothers and it sent my brothers and I this text message to meet at my brother Scott's place because he needed to talk to us about something. and. So we, you know, and I'm like, huh. I was like, okay, well, we had, and we had, we had plans with some friends. We, we were going to host this, you know, game night at our, at our house. And uh, my wife and I were going to host this game night for some friends of ours. And, uh, called my wife and said, Hey, can you call everybody and let them know that we can't really do game night? Or I guess if you want to have some people come over, but my dad just sent me this weird text and he wants to talk to us. He won't tell me what it's about, but he wants to meet at my brother Scott's place. And that's where he told us that uh, my mom wasn't there. It was uh, my, my two brothers, uh, my brother Damon's wife, and then myself. And um, he was very strategic about where we met. He knew that my brother, he knew that I was just kind of going to be silent and not really have too many questions. He knew that my brother Damien would be the one that would just be firing questions away. And he knew that my brother Scott would probably be very emotional and wouldn't want him to be anywhere else other than his house. And, and he told us about that and hearing that word and having my, that word be associated with my mom was terrifying. Now take that word and have it, you know, associated with, you know, a child who's yours was just, I, I couldn't even imagine what had happened and what we were being told. And, you know, it started out as a, his, 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 Scrotum was just seemed really big. Just seemed 
ab- abnormally large and it didn't seem to bother him at all. But my wife and I are looking at him like, does that look right? And I'm like, that's, you know, we should probably get that checked out. So we, you know, took him to his pediatrician. The um, initial thought was that it was a hernia. And because of his age, they had already scheduled the removal of it. But um, we had to, um, but they had scheduled us to go and meet with the surgeon. So we went across to, we were at Good Sam, went across to Lucille Packard there and met with the surgeon. And he wasn't convinced that it was a hernia. He kind of threw out some other possibilities, a tumor being one of them. And made a point to mention that, you know, because of his age, it's possible that the tumor is completely benign, but we won't know until obviously it's examined. And, you know, that, and I write all this in that, in the, in the blog, this whole experience. And um, then when, you know, the surgery came, the doctor approached us, told us that it was actually malignant in nature. It was just a fucking, <laughs> just a whirlwind of, of shit. And I knew what that meant, you know, and, and you know, and, and in my head, I'm standing there and I'm thinking, you know, my, okay, my, my, my nine-month-old son has cancer. That's what he's telling us. But I could only say it in my head. I couldn't hear it. I couldn't hear anybody else say it, and I didn't want to say it myself. And that lasted for a good maybe three, four months. I just did not want to say the word. And, uh, and yeah, it was due to just... I, I mean, I, I knew what was going on, and it wasn't so much... It wasn't like I was in denial... You know, I was the one taking him every Wednesday to to his uh, treatments in Stanford. I just, I don't know. And it just was being wrong to me. How do you begin to process something like that? Well, together, you know. I mean, you know, we, we're, we're lucky. My wife and I are lucky to have a, um, a really strong support system. You know, her, her family's very tight. My family's very tight. Her family's huge. She's Italian. She's got this <laughs> humongous, uh, you know, family. But we're lucky to have that support system. But it was, yeah, I mean, even thinking about it now, it was just a mindfuck. I mean, it really was. I just, I, I didn't even know what was going on at the time. What made it bearable, though, was how happy of a baby he was and how this experience, you know, going every Wednesday, he was, you know, he was just some, he was just some kid, you know, that went to this thing or went to this place, hung out for uh, two, three hours sometimes, was able to watch Toy Story. That was his favorite movie. Finding Nemo was another one. And kind of the, that that was kind of what made it bearable almost was was just how happy he was and he loved all the he loved the nurses you know and the nurses became very close with him they're being wonderful there Lucio Packard they really are and that was kind of the the kind of silver lining there was I don't know it was it was it almost turned into it almost turned into just something that we did on, on or every Wednesday you know just just he and I would just take this Father's son trip to the hospital while he got his medicine. But I don't know. I mean, you kind of just do the best you can to, to look at it in so many different ways that try to make it, or you try to make it positive any way you can. And after you guys would put the kids together, I mean, 
would you sit and talk about this or would you try to talk about other things? Uh, no, we, we talked about it with our, with Sammy. We actually took him a couple of times, you know, to, to, to be there so he can see, and he was young, you know, Sammy was young when this happened. So, but he seemed to be at least aware enough that we were leaving, you know, every Wednesday, I would be dropping him off at my wife's mom's and then taking Jojo to the hospital. But to him, to him, you, you know, probably like, well, where, where are they going? You know I mean? How come I get dropped off every Wednesday and, you know, um, they go somewhere and they're gone for the whole day and then come back and doesn't know what the hospital or, you know, I mean, I could, that could just be a word I'm using, but I, uh, we, we took him just so we can see what was actually happening, you know, and he, uh, and he was there for a couple of the treatments just so he can kind of be there and kind of experience it for himself. We didn't hide it in any way from him. And he, uh, our son Jojo has a scar on his chest where they put his port and he'll, he sleeps without a shirt. So we look now anyway, because it's, it's so hot. He likes to sleep without a shirt and he looks at it all the time and he points to it sometimes. This is my scar. And I say, and I ask him if he knows where it's from. And he said, yeah, it was from when I'm sick, when I was sick. But that's really, we don't necessarily, we haven't necessarily had the, the ski talk <laughs> but it'll come up it'll happen so you have all of these emotions swimming around inside of you and then you know being a creative person it's easy to see how you know you can just want to rip it into something you know shape it into something but it seems like you take your time you know you're not rushing these things out do you think that that meticulousness gives you a certain amount of control that maybe you thought you were lacking in that situation? Yeah, no, that's, that's interesting. Um, I never really thought about that. And you're right. I do, I do take a lot of time before I, you know, what, you know, writing these and, and I am pretty meticulous about what kind of goes in them and kind of how things are laid out and how things are presented. And, and I do, I'm critical. I'm, I'm as critical of those as I am to, a screenplay where I'll, I'll read something and I'll be like, Oh, that sounds fucking stupid. You know, or I'll, you know, think even though these stories are, are very personal to me, I do try to be creative and, and how they're written. And I guess I do try to try to do that. try to maintain a certain level of control when I'm writing each piece. Do you think that there are other things about that experience that have taught you? Obviously, it's taught you a lot of personal lessons. I don't want to undercut that, but creative lessons as well, right? Maybe something similar to that, where you're like, oh, going through that, now I understand this, and I didn't understand that before. Uh, it doesn't even have to be creative lessons now that I say the questions. Just any sort of yeah. lesson that, that you brought out of that, you go, wow, now, now I get that. I get that now. Well, definitely the whole concept of time, you know, for sure. I hate to even think about it, but when something like this happens, you know, you think, well, what the fuck is going to, you know, what's going to be the end game here? You know, and and you try to be as positive as you can, which I feel we were, you know, I I do, I I do feel like like my my wife and I were as positive as, as, as we could possibly be. You know, we had talks where, you know, we, we allowed ourselves to be sad and we, you know, we obviously allowed ourselves to be, to be devastated, but we didn't allow ourselves 
to, I guess, uh, I don't know. We, we didn't, we didn't allow, we didn't allow ourselves to freak out, you know, with each other. To answer your question, it did make me think a lot about, about time and how, how valuable it is and, and not wanting to, to waste it at all, which I still continue to do <laughs> nicely. Uh, made me think about it a little bit more. Between your mother coming through cancer and your son coming through cancer, does every day feel like a celebration now? Uh, yeah, it, it, I mean, it does. Not so much a celebration, just... I mean, I guess so, yeah. I mean, it affected my mom very, uh, very much because of that, you know, because she you know, had been diagnosed with it. And then, you know, having her grandson got diagnosed with it as well. You know, I definitely feel that that had an impact on her emotionally. But the fact that both scenarios turned out or had, I, I, I guess, um, happy endings, you know, it definitely <laughs> felt, felt great, you know, and, and, and felt good and made me feel uh, positive about more things and what's, yeah, what's, what's to come and stuff like that. I don't know. It's weird when I talk about it. It's just, yeah, strange. And that feeling right there where you say, you know, what's to come, is that what made you really, really start focusing on screenplays now? The screenplays I had always had an interest in. You know, I'd always been, you know, a big fan of, of films and I always wanted to write them. And that ultimately was what I, I wanted to do and ultimately what I'm doing or what I, what I aim to do now as a, as a career. That's something that I've always set up that I've always been very interested in and fascinated by. The blog was, uh, and not that that takes in any way, you know, precedence over the blog in any way. I just, I, the blog was uh, just something that was born of kind of just this, that, that experience itself. My son. So you were continuing to work on screenplays through all of this? Yes. Wow. Yeah. It must have been nice to have something to do at times. It did keep my mind busy. And, and I will say this, there was a long period of time before any of this happened where I didn't write a fucking thing. And I felt like a complete fucking fraud and would tinker with the screenplay every couple of months and think, well, fuck, <laughs> I'm not a writer. You know I mean? Writers actually write, you know, writers sit down and, and write new shit. They don't just tinker with things thinking that they're actually fixing something, which I wasn't. I was just sitting in front of the computer for five, 10 minutes thinking that that was enough and it wasn't. And this thing happened and it just kind of, it, it just kind of uh, lit a fire. It really did, you know, and the blog came from it and then it just kind of reinvigorated the screenwriting as well. It did have a huge impact on, on the writing itself. And, and a lot of it was because I just, I, I liked being, I liked being busy. It inspired that creativity and it was therapeutic. The blog was therapeutic because of what I was able to express about myself. And then the screenwriting was therapeutic on a, on a pure creativity, just a level of creativity. And do you think that kind of like a, when you strip a wire, you feel like all of that 
pretense, like the, you know, the, the imposter syndrome, which is so, so common that anybody listening should, should definitely know that they're not alone in that. But do you feel like that yeah. ripped that away or do you still struggle with that? I struggle less though with it. I will say that, you know, I, I do feel I've grown more confident as an aspiring writer. <laughs> you can't see my, uh, you, you can't see my air quotes, you know, <laughs> but, uh, I, I do feel I've grown more confident. And a lot of that has been because how much more I'm writing now than I was before. And a lot of that has been because of how honest I try to be in the blogs. You know, it, it definitely was liberating in, in a sense because I didn't feel like I was lying about anything. Some of the things that I reveal in, in the blogs are, are embarrassing, <laughs> you know, but that felt good. It felt good to, to reveal and to tell people and, you know, hearing someone say that they, you know, laugh their asses off about something that they read, you know, feels good, even though they're laughing at me. <laughs> it feels good because of how it made me feel um, sharing it. There's a blog that I've been, I have been writing. Yes. <laughs> I talked to my wife about it. It's just this embarrassing, this embarrassing story that uh, it's it's a blog that I that I do want to share, but I probably won't do it while I'm working a nine to five job. <laughs> so maybe when maybe if I if I start working as a as a screenwriter, then uh, then 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 it'll be one that's shared. <laughs> so. Or you can. Pl- Plug it into a screenplay uh, under another character's name. Yeah, I can do that as a, as a pseudonym. You know, blog is a pseudonym. <laughs> do you see, like, uh, when you when you look look back from where you're standing now, do you see that magic of that synergy? Just even just the the synergy between this blog that you started to write about photography that bored you to write about photography ended up being this vehicle that got you to really start making progress on this dream that you've had. And I'm not going to include all the things that happened to your son in that synergy, because I don't think that that's a a fair way to describe that. But the synergy between those two things, do you see that? Or is it just something that it's just a coincidence? No, I I, I do. I I would be lying if if, if I said that I didn't owe a lot of what I've written to that experience. Because it really did inspire me to to just express myself and and the blogs that I had written, I had written a few blogs before writing the blog about what happened to our son, you know the blog about the fucking the blog about music, the blog about the eighties movies, or the blog about when I tried to help a <laughs> tried to help a a girl, a woman that I thought was being held hostage by her boyfriend or whatever the night that I totally fucked up doing that. <laughs> Just, you know, all of that stuff was, all of that stuff was inspired by this event. And, you know, I would be lying if I said that that, that wasn't a huge, that that didn't have a huge impact and it was not a coincidence at all. It really did. It, it like I said, it really just, it, it just lit that fire and it kept it going. So we know how, in some way, how you move on as a as a creator? How do you move on as a father after all of that? Uh, 
Well, just, just, that's a good question because you know, there's always that lingering fear, e- even though I am so thankful for the, the result, you know, that he's doing well, you know, he's, he did great through this whole experience. He's doing well. His, his scans are, are clear. We just had a recent one last May, June, I'm sorry. But there's always still that lingering fear. And I know I'm always going to have to face that fear and that one of these scans will, will be different. And it does fuck with you when something like a bloody nose happens or a stomach ache or a headache or something happens. You know, I, I do have to remind myself to not, you know, let that turn into something else. You know, we still have to be, you know, a strong parental unit and, and not completely, <laughs> not completely lose it. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. You just, you just go on and face the, or not even, not even face. I mean, this is something that we, that's extraordinary being, being a father. But I mean, just realize that these people are, you have lives that are depending on you. And for better or worse, if that turns out bad, it's because of you. <laughs> and I don't know if that answered your question. <laughs> that's a, a heavy burden, I imagine. Yeah. Looking at someone and going, I am, I'm responsible for who you become. Yeah. This is maybe a strange question, but, and I don't even know if you'll be able to answer it, but which, which do you think is, is the harder one to deal with? What happened and the fear of it coming back or that responsibility of you being the person who shapes this other human being? Wow. Um, it hit me with that one, huh? <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. They're both equally scary. Because you just, because they're both equally, to me anyway, unpredictable. I say and I feel that I'm a good father. You know, I think I, I feel that I am to my boys. I, I, I would be a fool to say for certainty that I will always be one. That's scary to me. I, I would like to say that. I would like to say I will always be supportive. And I will always have the answers for you. And I will always be able to guide you in the way that you need. I will always be able to teach you the things that you need. But maybe I won't. I know that I, there's fucking nothing in me that, that doesn't want that. But I don't know. That's scary too. And how much surrender to, to that is involved? You know, how much do you just have to surrender to the reality of how things, you know, the, the unpredictability maybe is a good way to say it. How much surrender is involved in that? I have to learn to surrender that fear. You know, I mean, that's, that's really, you know, when, when I think of that, when I think of the word surrender, that's, that's what I need to do. I just need to learn to surrender that fear because I don't want that fear to manifest itself into anything I would hate for that fear to manifest itself into anything negative. In all of this, I've never really felt angry. 
you know, I felt hurt and devastated. I'm not a largely religious person, so I, you know, I, I never had those feelings of why is God doing this to us or, you know, oh, there, there can't be a God because, because this is happening. You know, those, those, those thoughts were never really ones that I, that I shared or, or expressed or even said. There wasn't really a profound amount of anger. It was just more being afraid of the outcome and afraid of what that was going to do to us. When you say that word surrender, over anything else, that's what I need to surrender. And that's hard. When you get up in the morning and you see you have two healthy sons, what's that feel like every day? It feels wonderful. <laughs> I mean, it, it does. But the fear is that little voice is what makes me ask that question, do I have two healthy sons? Do I only have one? When Jojo was, uh, was going through this, it's, and, and, I, and I talk about this in the, in the new blog, because the new blog is, is, you know, centers around our, uh, our son, Sammy. Having a, a child that young go through that, definitely, it kind of, it sways the attention. It does. And sucks to, to realize that. The, the kind of drawback of that was, you know, our son, Sammy, maybe feeling a bit left out at times. Um, and even though he was young, but, you know, in a way, kind of having to fight for attention and not realizing why he's, he's having to do that. You know, we started noticing just some interesting behavior at school where he was always a really big kid for his age. He was a lot more active physically than his teachers seemed to, uh, his preschool teacher and, and even TK teacher seemed to um, be able to handle at times. So we didn't, we didn't necessarily know if it was like an ADHD type thing and, or anything. So we, you know, we decided to, you know, to take him to, evaluated by a doctor and and they didn't necessarily see the ADHD they more so thought uh, it was it was more of a misplaced anxiety of anything so I wake up and I see these two beautiful boys and it just completely fucking fills my heart but I don't necessarily you know think of it that way like you know oh my god I have these two beautiful healthy boys but I I do look forward to every moment I get to spend with them in the morning when they wake up that that fear is always there I'm not even I think we're gonna have to end there I don't even know where to go from that I have been asking this question at the end of each of these as I think we talked about when we started the goal of this is to learn from people to not with some specific goal of what to learn but you know, hear people's story to hear who they are and Take that and try to become a better person with every day. So in that quest, what book do you think I need to read next? One thing that... <laughs> one, one drawback of having children, I will say, if you once were a big reader, <laughs> is, uh, is the, these, the no longer reading of books or the, the, the ridiculous amount of time it takes to finish one book 
but I don't read like I used to. I'm currently reading Patton Oswalt's late wife, uh, Michelle McNamara's crime novel, I'll Be Gone in the Dark, which is fucking great. It, it really is. It's just fantastic. And I'm not finished with it. There's still about, you know, I think I have about 100 pages left, you know, with my five page a night uh, marathon reading. But that's a great book. It really is. And I'm really excited on, on where it's going. I mean, I know that at the end of the book, he's not caught, obviously, because he wasn't caught until, until after the book came out, which I actually read. They released that guy. That's another story. But, <laughs> but uh, that is definitely something that I, would, uh, that I would recommend, even having not finished it yet. I would definitely recommend that. There was a book called The Contortionist Handbook by Craig Clevenger. And I had read this book around the time that I was very heavily into Chuck Palahniuk. And it was a book that I'd seen on his, on, on his website. And I would go to his website you know, to, you know, to learn a bit more about him. And you know, he had these great little classes for, for writers. And um, he had a writer's group. That, that he would lead, which was just really, really cool. But there would be a lot of great recommendations for books. This book is not something that's necessarily going to change your whole view on the world or anything like that. It's just, it, it is such a unique, such a unique book. And it's a pretty fast read. I think it's only about a, maybe 250, maybe 300 pages, but really, really good. I would definitely, make, I would definitely recommend checking that one out. Now, I don't even want to say anything more about the book. I'd like you to just read it and then tell me what you think about it. Would you like to tell everybody who you are and uh, plug whatever sites or social media you would like to plug or actually plug whatever you want? Oh, man. I think this, this might be my first plug ever. One thing that I so appreciate about you inviting me on this podcast is just to have a, a, a conversation with you, but also... To um, to talk about this and and be able to share this with people that I uh, that I don't know, which is exciting. So, if your listeners would want to read uh, some of the blogs, you can you can find them at themadshot.com, Title of which I'm really struggling with now. the The Mad Shot was something that just sounded cool. There is absolutely no other meaning behind it than that. <laughs> I mean. There is uh, there was no other meaning to that. It just sounded cool, and it was very uh, it, it sounded very photography related. <laughs> but seeing how the website has been very uh, very blog focused, or that I've been more more focused on the on the blog itself, that's where the the title itself starts to lose starts to very quickly lose its meaning. You, you can check out some of the photography there too. Some of my photography there as well. My my buddy De- Devon Amos, he's a wonderful artist. He did the logo for the website. He's actually working on. He and I were working on updating it because of that. Updating it that you know with with something that was you know still photography related but more blog driven. So we were working together to to kind of come up with a new um, logo, but he he designed the logo and designed the artwork of some of the blogs that are on there. Some of them some of them don't have any artwork on them, but all the artwork that's on that precedes some of the blogs 
were created by by him. Yeah, he's just he's just fantastic. Definitely check his stuff out as well. Uh, you can find Devon at uh, devonamos.deviantart.com. You know, one of the best ways to support a podcast is to go over to the podcast app that you're using, especially if it is Apple Podcasts, and take five minutes to sit down and rate and review the show. Just give it a star rating, give it a paragraph letting people know what value you get out of the show. Because that's how we communicate to the world what this show is about if they haven't listened to it before. And it's also how we communicate to guests or possible guests what the show that is inviting them on is about and what people think of it. So please take the time to rate and review us. Thanks.